it's Noelle from Search, and I have a guest today named Corey Lopish-Warfield, and I'm super excited to bring him on the podcast today because Corey is what I like to call a mastermind of so many different things, and I'm going to let Corey share his story, but he is very much in the tech industry and has his hands in a lot of different things. So, hey, Corey, how are you? No, I'm great. How are you doing? I am fabulous. Super happy to have you today. Thank you. Congrats on the launch of Search. It looks incredible. Thank you. I'm so happy. Everyone has worked so hard. Uh, releasing version one has been a huge relief and lift off of my shoulders. And now we just have to look forward to version two. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So much more work to come. So uh, let's talk about you. So you're living in Brazil. How long have you been living there? So I live between Brazil and Hiroshima and Chicago, where I'm from. So I still have a residence in Chicago. I'm back and forth every other month or so. Uh, but I've, I started coming down to Rio, I guess, almost two years ago. And, um, you know, I met a woman down here, but I also just fell in love with, with the city and really the, the whole South American vibe. So um, it's been for the last six months, I've been here for the majority of my time. Uh, I'll be going back to Chicago soon. Um, and it, it's always nice to get back to the States for a bit, but this is home base. I love that. I've never been able to come to South America. I hope one day to be able to, because the landscape there is beautiful, but I also love Chicago and I've been to Chicago <laughs> quite a bit. So I'm a little partial to it. It's a good place. I love it. The The windy city, always very windy. There's always a lot going on. <laughs> My husband's work is actually based in Chicago. So he's had the pleasure of going for work and it's just a very fun atmosphere. It's a good place to be. So you grew up in Chicago, right? I did. And quick fun fact, it's very windy there, but it's actually known as the Windy City because of all of the hot air that came out of the politicians' mouths uh, many years ago. So it literally, the the Windy in Windy City has nothing to do with the lake effect. Yes, I actually heard that growing up in, I think, my seventh grade social studies class. And we learned about that, but I'm happy you said it because I couldn't quite remember the verbiage on why it was called the Windy City. So I'm sure everyone else will appreciate that info. Um, so tell us about you and what you do, because you and I have had a conversation before where you have enlightened me, but there is so much. So now that we're actually going to have it on a recording and we can go back and listen to it, now we can be better prepared. So tell us about what you do. You know, you're an officer in a lot of different things, a leader in a lot of different things. What is so amazing about Corey that makes you a mastermind of all of these different things? I think I've always been a futurist um, and, and to a degree, a globalist and a visionary. And so I have a really unique story that kind of brought me to where I am today. And to, to oversimplify and kind of yada, yada, yada over a lot of it, I worked in restaurants for most of my adulthood. So I was a career waiter. I, I worked at a number of the top 10 steakhouses in the country and I had a lot of the rich and famous as my clientele and I got to know some of them and they usually spend well and tip well. And I was really kind of living the best life of a waiter, 
but I was so unhappy <laughs> and mm -hmm. um, I really just got burnt out. And so some years ago, my biggest pain point other than being on my feet all day and being a servant in the castle was that my schedule always changed and I never knew when I was going to work. And I'd been a manager and I'd been in the corporate offices and, you know, I, I understood how things should work and the discrepancy between how a restaurant should be run and the reality of how restaurants are ran really came down to the misusage of data. So I went crazy, started a software company that we bootstrapped to market. We then raised quite a bit of money and scaled it to some national accounts. Um, and that, that platform was a scheduling platform for the restaurant industry. And we used data and from machine learning and um, it was a really interesting journey, but I had never really had a corporate job. I uh, dropped out of college after one year in the 90s. So like, I really didn't have a foundation. Um, in my assessment, I was really bad at sales because everyone that I'd ever had to quote unquote sell to was already hungry and had decided to eat in my restaurant and was placed in my station. So there was no convincing that I needed to do. I didn't need to take anybody down any type of customer journey. I just needed to be able to listen and uh, be able to provide what it is that they already knew and could articulate that they want. And so I watched some YouTube videos called uh, Draper U by Tim Draper. I've read the book, The Lean Startup by Eric Reese, the book Traction by Gabriel Weinberg, and basically just you know figured out how to build the plane on the way down to borrow a phrase from Reed Hoffman. And what really resonated with me out of the book Traction was figuring out what your specific traction channel is. And it's probably never going to be what worked for a competitor or for a lookalike because everything changes. And once something's worked for somebody, it's even less likely to work for someone else within that same paradigm. So yeah. at the time, no one was really, you know, from the restaurant community was really taking LinkedIn seriously. And all, all of the senior level executives at restaurants were on there. Uh, so I, I started getting really active on LinkedIn. And that kind of made me, quote unquote, the, the person that I am today. So I have a substantial following there uh, in my kind of free 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 hour, hours that I bill for. I, I help create other LinkedIn influencers as a coach. And that's been really fun. I've helped build up some of the biggest accounts on LinkedIn pretty much from scratch. Um, with people that are now known as global thought leaders in their spaces. And that's just naturally brought me so much deal flow. And so I've, I still start companies. I have a company in the coaching space called Coaching to Web3. That's a Web3 company. Uh, I co-founded a launch pad in the Web3 space. So we have about 15 portfolio companies that are building sustainable projects in Web3. And I, I got into crypto a couple of years ago, although I'm I'm one of the few people I know that is still in crypto, but really doesn't like it. <laughs> like um, I, conceptually, I understand you know decentralization and um, you know things of that nature, but uh, I've really more so gravitated towards the blockchain as being a unifier and a source of truth. And um, the way that I've kind of for many many years seen technology uh, needing to go. So so once it kind of became a reality and, and different chains and protocols and layers started presenting themselves, I got really bullish on that a couple of years ago. So my kind of big, hairy, audacious goal these days is a project called Uplift that's going to start delivering universal basic income um, kind, kind of on a very uh, small scale to start. There's a lot that we're going to need to test and measure and, and kind of fine tune. 
but our goal is to be providing a true universal basic income to every global citizen that, that wants to participate. Um, no criteria, no government involvement, um, no, you know, no minimum thresholds. And we're doing that by building a super app that has pretty much everything uh, available in it from a, a marketplace, financial marketplace, services marketplace, healthcare, uh, some, some cool gamification. Um, and as you can imagine, everything being on chain, being Web3, being immersive, um, building it the right way um, has been a labor of love, <laughs> to say the yeah. least. But we're getting ready to, to launch our first pilots. And uh, it's pretty powerful to see what technology uh, can can make possible. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. Yeah, and I love it. I I need to like say something silly for a second because your your first company that you created, the scheduling company for the restaurant industry is called Shed Wool, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, can I just say that when I say it, it sounds like schedule. And so I'm like, I wonder if he came up with that name by being silly and being like, ooh, I'm gonna schedule these people and then just turned it into Shed Wool. Hundred percent. That's it. And it's it that's is? the way that Australians and Brits, yeah, it's it's totally a play on the word and the spelling. And once people figure it out on their own, like you do, they feel like they're in the club. We had a lot of users at one point that would reach out and say things like, I just figured out the name, or you know, we all say we're gonna shed wool, you know, check our shed wool and stuff like that. So it was really fun. I've always I've always gravitated towards um not taking things too serious. It's kind, mm -hmm. kind of fun, like the name search, right? Um, yeah, yeah. That yeah. is hilarious. I was just taking a stab in the dark, but I love it even more. And I'm never <laughs> going to forget it. And the thing that I love most about that is I actually am connected to people, a lot of people in the hospitality industry who look for things like this. So I will have to uh, send them in the shed wool direction because... I think it's creative. I also think you're a fabulous person and you're always looking to do something for the greater good. So I will a hundred percent send people to shed wool and uh, that you couldn't have picked a better name. So I love well, that. Thank you. But I exited from that a few years ago. And oh. so, if, you know, anyone in the hospitality industry after that journey, um, I know so many different softwares that are really amazing. Mm -hmm. We were we were good at what we did, our core competency, but we never really grew big enough to add more of the features or integrations that would have made us more powerful. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if, if they'd be a top recommendation for me at this point, not, not to sound hostile, I just don't know, um, but I appreciate it anyway. And it was a really fun couple of year journey for me. Yeah, well, regardless, it is still fun and everyone should keep their <laughs> options open, right? So you know, totally. <laughs> we'll figure out what works best for everybody, but it's still one of the best names for businesses I've ever heard. So <laughs> that you. doesn't matter. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, well, you're doing a lot of other stuff currently, you know, I'm very interested in the universal basic income thing, especially, you know, I don't know what it's like over in South America, but over here in the States and not to make this super political, but uh, UBI is a really political thing here in the States. And a lot of people want it and a lot of people don't want it. So what drove you to say, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to create. What's that driving force behind it? 
Well, that's a great question. And it's been amazing to see how much support we're getting from people that are even on the extremes of both sides of the political world. Um, we're getting huge support from people that I'm uh, actually astonished are um, are really, you know, in, interested in this. But you have people like Andrew Yang on the one side and people like mm -hmm. Elon Musk on the other side. There, there's just been so many um projects in the past but they were either not using decentralization or blockchain or they didn't figure out how to truly fund it i think it's really kind of coming to an inflection point where the technology and the timing are finally ripe for it so the dissenters and those that have historically been against ubi think that it's going to hurt the economy because it's going to make people lazy it's going to disincentivize work that's the big one that, that you hear but also it's a redistribution of wealth, which does scare the people at the very top of the 1%. Right. Um, and so you, you kind of get this narrative where, you know, the 1% are really, really good at pushing their ideologies and, and having people kind of hang on to them without questioning them. Mm -hmm. So they've historically, you know, put, put a lot of bad, uh, frame around UBI. And, and the, the big one is that it's going to make people lazy, where we see there being a huge opportunity right now is with AI starting to displace a lot of, especially the labor jobs and, and a lot of jobs, frankly, we see that if people no longer have to work for money, but rather have money coming in consistently that can provide the quality of life that they thought they needed to work for, then it lets people do things that they're actually passionate about doing. There are people that are passionate about recycling, which is a $1.5 billion industry here in Brazil. We're going to streamline that. We're going to make it more effective. And the people that are on the streets risking themselves, digging through trash, um, breaking their backs, literally carrying these huge bags of recycling around the city to, to kind of mom and pop operations that somehow all in is worth over a billion dollars. We're going to help streamline that, provide all those people with more money than they were making doing that. And if they still want to do it, they can earn more points, <laughs> right? right? But now if they don't want to do it, it's not because they're going to do that or they're going to starve to death. And as we see AI with more and more capabilities of replacing graphic designers, sales consultants, uh, computer software engineers, like all these different um, things that, frankly, the reason we're seeing mass lay layoffs at the tech companies is because they can automate a lot of it now. They don't need these people, right? And they do have a fiduciary responsibility to their boards and their shareholders to to minimize their PL. And so, what we're looking at is how do we get people enough money that work can become optional and people can really follow their dreams and be empowered. And so we've we figured out the different things that monetize. Uh, people's time and data online. We're putting everyone's data protect, uh, protected on the blockchain, but in a capacity where they can actually sell their own data and make some of the money from it. We'll, we'll broker all of that for them. And we keep a percentage that goes into the universal basic income. But so we've, you know, that's just an example of ways that we're letting people use the app to generate more money than they, they will get. Right. Just with their attention, just with their intention, just with their behaviors that they're going to do every and any way online mm -hmm. and it's become this really cool business model um it's you know it, there is a crypto component although people will never need to have a wallet per se or, or need to hold it as a cryptocurrency um 
but it's really just in, enabled at this point by a lot of the different technology. And the timing is great. Finland just did a UPI uh, pilot that went very successfully. Um, the, there is a smaller UBI project that we're going to partner with here in Brazil that's, that's had some success so far. So I think it's just a, a matter of the technology is finally here. The time is finally right. The argument that people are going to be lazy and, and not work becomes a lot less relevant if people's jobs are going to be displaced anyhow. Right. Um, yeah, I think it might just be the perfect storm. Yeah, and I... You know, a lot of people are very against universal basic income for the reasons you just named, mainly because people are worried, like you said, that people will get lazy. They're not going to, you know, earn their keep, if you will. But I think about very often, what if we were all given an opportunity to do what we love, how much better our world would be? We wouldn't be going to school based on how much money we thought we would make in the future. We wouldn't get up every day hating going to work. Um, we would get to do what we loved without feeling that strain of an income or not being able to afford it. Uh, so many people like teaching, especially over here in the U.S., um, teachers get a lot of, you know, they get a lot of hardships, I'll say. And I'll leave it at that in a lot of different ways because they love teaching children, but they don't make enough money to do it. Um, but they do it because they love it. And it has deterred a lot of people who should be in that field from doing it because they say they don't make enough money. So I just feel like if people are given the opportunity to do what they love, our world could truly be a much better place. Seriously, oh, that's we it. have happy people. And that's the that's whole it. point. 100%. Yeah. So um, I love that. I can't say personally that I've ever, um, you know, and I'll admit I have been on the other side where I'm like, universal basic income. Like, I just don't think that's fair. I've had to work really hard for everything I have, but the older I get and with my kids growing up, like nobody wants their kids to grow up and be miserable, right? Like we want to do what we love. We want our kids to do what we love. So why not see if there's a way we can make it work for everyone to just be happy? <laughs> like, well, the, the reality also is that um, when people look at universal basic income as a handout, it takes mm -hmm. on a very different connotation, right? Correct. And so what we say is this is not a handout, this is a handoff, right? And it's for absolutely everybody. We we don't discriminate. People don't need to be poor to get the, the income. Um, right. We want everyone to be able to take time off of work to travel the world or to, or to learn new skills or right. um you know one industry that we're working closely with is the nursing industry my wife's a nurse i've been in the nursing space you know tangentially for a long time and there's a huge risk that most nurses are about to quit <laughs> they feel very undervalued underpaid um we need nurses you know mm -hmm. in so many ways and so we're we're putting them as part of our ecosystem kind of front and center and um, you know, we, we see things like that, that technology can't displace teachers as well. We have an education component within the Uplift app, but we also, there's nothing like a hands-on, especially early developmental education that's in person, right? And I don't think technology will ever replace that. So you're right, letting the people that do that not have to worry about living 
a, a lower quality life or worrying about teaching summer school when it's, you know, when, when people are on summer vacation or any of those things become really, really compelling. Right. Right. And I'm going to say something that might be a little contradictory here, but you know, as beautiful and as great as amazing teachers and nurses are, there are also teachers and nurses out there who just shouldn't be uh, because they do not have the compassion uh, and the quality that is required in nursing. You're and teaching absolutely them, right. You know, and <laughs> I think, again, that goes back to my point of a lot of people go to school for things because they see an opportunity for their future or money or, you know, I can't tell you how many people that I know personally who went to school for nursing, I was one of them because I thought that was what I was supposed to do. I thought that's what would make me money. I hated it. I hated it so much. And I knew I could never work in that space. I mean, I did for a while. I worked for OSU Med, but I knew this is not for me because I do not have the patience, the care provider. Like I just don't, that's not me. I know that about myself. So we have people in these fields who shouldn't be in these fields. Um, and if they were just allowed to not be in it and make room for the people that should be, <laughs> they can go do something that makes them happy. And then, I mean, I can't get into the life cycle of happiness to the world because we'll be here for hours, but give people the ability to be happy and look at how the world changes seriously. Less fighting, less stealing, less <laughs> crime, less, I mean, less everything. Well, mo most war and crime stems from money. And mm -hmm. we live in an abundant world. There, there's more dollars or, or there's more currency, call it fiat currency, in mm -hmm. circulation than there is needed to distribute to everyone in the world every year. Right. So it it really does become a, a bit of a re, redistribution model. Um, but when you factor in things like the circular economy and the shared economy, and we're, we're playing very much in those spaces as well, um, there, there, it turns out that there's there's a lot more to life necessarily than just having to work for a paycheck when you take that out of the you know necessity bucket so yeah we're really excited we, we're, we're moving very quickly and um it's it feels like my life's work for sure that's amazing i can't wait to see it and i'm sure after people listen to this they're going to be grasping at straws to look for an update from you. Um, it's very exciting stuff. And I have one last question about it because, you know, you mentioned that the top 1% of people who have that high income are a little bit worried about what that's going to do to them because we're looking at them for this, you know, but Elon Musk is also on board. Elon Musk is top 1%. For sure. So what is what is his take on this if he's on board with it? Um, Elon Musk is a pretty generous giving man. So I, I don't expect it to be in any selfish capacity at all. But, you know, a lot of these people in the top 1%, how are you getting them to change their mind? Like, how, what are you what are you doing to make them feel better about it? To make them well, first of all, they're going to get money too, and right. you know, as much as people don't want to feel like they're getting a handout or preferential treatment, one of the big things that the rich had probably had a problem with previously is, well, wait, does this mean you're going to tax me more so you can give my money to them, and I work so hard for it, and they didn't, don't deserve my money, right? And it really becomes this like me versus them mentality. Mm -hmm. And when we're saying no, right, this is non-governmental. This is you're going to get money too. 
um, then I think they, they then really understand that, wait, if everyone has more money, they can spend more money on our stuff, right? Like, yeah. um, you know, e- Elon's just launched a new company called XAI, which is going to be his version of OpenAI, which he also co-founded. Um, Tesla just came out with their electric trucks, like, and, and they're self-driving. But so if he's taking you know, thousands of jobs away from people with technology, he needs them to not be disgruntled or, you know, in dire need of something anyhow. But I think he's always been more of a philanthropist and, you know, he's, he's a visionary. He wants to see us become a multi-planetary species and things like that. And the only way we're going to make that happen is if we, if we're able to work towards some lofty goals together um, but you'd be amazed. Richard Branson is all in for universal basic income. Mark Cuban um, seems all in for it. And we're actually hoping to talk to him because he's got a, a cheap prescription drug company uh, startup that he just invested heavily in that we think should be embedded within our app. Um, but Jack Dorsey, is, uh, founder of Twitter, um, is all in for universal basic income. Uh, Mark, uh, or rather, uh, Bill Gates, Melinda Gates, um, Randy Zuckerberg, like a lot of these one, you know, top top one percent of the top one percent are interested in seeing a universal basic income. And frankly, if people have more money, they can spend more money on virtual reality or on right. space tourism or right any of the things that these that these billionaires monetize anyway. So they actually stand to make more money if people have more money to spend. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I can see that it's kind of a full circle moment, you know? Totally. Oh, I love that. Well, let's uh, dive into the AI thing a little bit and then I'll let you go. But, you know, you pride yourself very heavily on being involved with ChatGPT and the AI. So what do you know about it? What do you love about it? What do you think is to come? Oh, I believe that humanity is going to look very differently and by the end of this year, even. I'm seeing things now like people generating quote-unquote deep fake songs um, and, and featuring some of their favorite artists. And I just heard a song with, with I think it was Drake in The Weeknd. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's exactly who it was. It was, it was completely generated by AI. It wasn't either of them. It's not, it not only sounds like both of them, but it's one of the best songs I've heard in years. <laughs> like, oh my so, gosh. Um, some of the generative AI art, I think, has gotten to be hyper-realistic. I think, you know, that the days of people just making art um, as, you know, in, in certain capacities is, is not going to be as, you know, like graphic designers and things like that. There's just going to be so many ways to get around them. And some people still want to, you know, hire a graphic designer or draw a picture. And that's great too. But then I look at things like what Steven Spielberg just invested in, which is you basically can type your ideas or speak them and turn it into a movie or turn yourself into CGI in any environment. I work closely with a few drag and drop no code AI in metaverse platforms. And to see the convergence of all of this, I can tell you what I believe is going to be the reality very soon is we'll be able to speak things that will become digitally real um, right. and shareable. And right, So I, I think we'll be able to stay in our house and go on a real vacation or get in a real rocket and go to another planet pretty soon. Um, and it might not even, oh, it's, it's incredible. 
And when you take things like 3D printing and some of the, the newer understandings of physics and things of that nature, and you, you distill it all, and then you, you see what's happening in the worlds of quantum computing and nanobots and like all these different technologies are all coming together and culminating. Um, I think there's a lot of concern about artificial general intelligence right now, um, which, you know, and I, I, I don't know what the future holds. I don't know how long man remains quote unquote master of the tech. And, you know, if there's ever a, <laughs> a, a paradigm shift there, um, but as far as being able to literally live in a world that we create, that we want to, um, I think that's on the horizon. I think the life expectancy of humans is going to go up substantially. Um, I think the quality of living is going to go up substantially. And, you know, frankly, AI is what's empowering all of this, even what we're doing at Uplift. So, um, yeah, I, I don't I don't think there's going to be a lot of the traditional um limitations for humanity like i'm seeing exoskeleton suits that can make people fly and <laughs> flying motorcycles and cars already like they're real some of these are already commercialized um so yeah i think th things that we all dreamed about and saw in sci-fi for the last many generations is all going to be true and I, I do think we're moving much closer to a jetsons like reality than people ever thought was going to happen in any of our lifetimes yeah, everything's just coming right to fruition, huh? Really? Oh my gosh, that's insane. But you know, for an average person like me, I think about all of these different things that I love and I'm passionate about so many different things. And I'm 31 and I could never decide even in my 20s what I what I love, what I'm passionate about, what I want to do. But like you said, now you can speak into something and it literally create like a screenplay. You can write a book really easily. You can do so many different things. I personally am eating it all up because mm -hmm. I'm like, oh my gosh, look, I can do all of these things I've wanted to do, but it takes way less time and I can still have a job on top of it. So exactly. I love and it. And I think that's a distinction at, at Uplift as well. We don't believe that just because people are getting a livable income you know, basically out of thin air every month that they don't want to or even need to work. Most people's self-identity does come from, you know, what they do to help other people in the world day in and day out. And so we want everyone to, that wants to work to work and make as much money as they can. But we love the idea that people don't need to rely on that or don't need to, you know, feel stuck in that rat race. Um, and yeah, I think it's a really exciting time to be alive. Yeah, I do too. I love it. I am just thrilled I was able to host you today. I think you shared some really great information. I think that people will have a different perspective on universal basic income, especially with your uplift project, excuse me, your uplift project launching very soon, uh, which I'm sure we all look forward to it. And I'm just really happy to have your insight. Truly, I am. Well, that means a lot, Noel, and I really enjoy you, and I can't wait to see the version two of Search. I really yeah. think it's going to be a preeminent search engine. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Well, it was a pleasure having you, and we'll talk more offline. Perfect. Have, Have a great a rest day. of the day. Thanks, Thanks everyone who tuned in. Yes, thank you so much. Have a good day. Bye, you too. Bye.